the strategy of closers in fantasy baseball, how to draft them, how to create a team hierarchy, how to fab them, plus this week's waiver wire picks and pitcher preview. Closer expert Greg Jewett of Fantasy Alarm and The Athletic joins us next on Beat the Shift. Welcome to another episode of the Beat the Shift podcast. I am your host, Ariel Cohen, and with me as always, Ruvain Guy. How are you, Ruvain? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? Pretty good. What's this? You told me that you're looking for earrings now at City Field. Is that what you told me before? Yeah, I think everyone who was, who was a Met fan who still thinks the Mets can make the playoffs and let, want to sign Javi Baez long term are looking for that earring right now. Oh, boy. Mets in trouble again. They're... Uh, Acting general manager, DUI, oh boy. Well, it it's, sounds like a regular Mets year, so all's well in the world, right? Yeah, it, it's basically a drama every day, a new drama every day, and you know what? It's just the status quo. This is what a Mets fan gets used to already. We're used to this. Pretty much. All right, well, let's get on with our show. We've got a great show tonight. We'll talk a lot about closers uh, and you know how they've fared, what to look for. Uh, it's a topic that I know people touch on, but we want to talk about the strategy aspect of it. And uh, I, I found um, none other than Greg Jewett, uh, who uh, is an expert on closers. He really digs into this each and every week. Uh, if you haven't followed him, uh, you should. You can follow him at uh, GJ. E-W-E-T-T-9, G. Jewett, um, on Twitter, he puts out a nice spreadsheet on a Google Sheets where he tracks closers each and every day, what they've done the past couple of days. Um, so really great stuff. Greg Jewett, he's from Fantasy Alarm and The Athletic. Welcome to the show, Greg. How are you? Uh, can't complain, Ariel. It was actually a nice fall day up here in Syracuse. I, we avoided all of the rain. I hope you guys are all right down there. Uh, I mean, we, we got a lot of rain down. I, I got a lot of rain down here. Uh, today was beautiful, though. Uh, Ruben, how would you feel in, up, in upstate New York? It was fine, except getting into the city today took me two hours, and it normally takes about 35 to 40 minutes. So, Whoa. yeah. Yeah, I mean, they, they were closing streets left and right, flooding, tremendous flooding from about two and a half inches of rain, which is quite a bit to uh, pour on in one single day. and Not even a day, like a third of a day. Unbelievable. Well, anyways, um, talking about uh, closers, and you know the the first question to you, Greg, is you know since you do uh, the listing of closers and the hierarchy, who's the current closer, who's the setup man, looming stuff like that. How how do you form those? How do you do that both on a preseason basis, and how do you do it in the middle of the season? Uh, well, the preseason, I pay close attention to spring training. Uh, they. It was a little different this year because the game formats, I'm sure as you're aware of. Uh, so it was usually uh, pre-2021. Uh, it was whoever would work the fifth inning because that was about the last inning that the starting batters would, would appear in. Uh, that would be the inning that the closer would come in and get some work so he would face major league hitters and not minor league guys and things of that nature. And then you kind of set the bullpen from there. So if somebody was setting him up, he would work in the fourth and then the main closer, well, teams that use a closer, would come into that fifth inning. Uh, this spring was a little different. They, they shifted into the third and the fourth. Uh, but you just kind of monitor. And, and I read all of the stuff from the beat, re beat writers, 
Um, I included that in my coffee and closer articles that I did in the preseason that a lot of the uh, NFBC players uh, were tracking and reading religiously. And I would just, I pretty much uh, mimicked uh, Jeff Zimmerman's uh, great uh, mining the news format, and I did it all just for closers. And that just kind of helped me formulate. And, and and you do your best sorting the tea leaves. Um, like in the preseason, I was very big on Jordan Hicks, but in any draft I took Jordan Hicks, I backed him up with Alex Reyes just because uh, the beat writers were saying if it wasn't Hicks, it was going to be Reyes, even though everybody wanted to be Giovanni Gallegos, who oddly enough now has uh, moved into the ninth inning. So in the ever-changing world of uh, closers, I really focus on those things, uh, what people are saying, especially the managers or the pitching coaches. And, you know, like the, for instance, the Reds in the preseason said that they were not going to have a closer and they've stuck to their guns. I mean, if somebody tells you what they're going to do, you have to start believing them. So I took zero shares of Amir Garrett in any draft in the preseason for that exact purpose, even though a lot of people thought that he would uh, get that role and thrive in it. Uh, so all of the, the work I do in the preseason and the hierarchies is really focused on uh, where they're working, who they're pitching against, and I, I try and really focus on K to B, B and things of that nature in spring, not necessarily all the other uh, ancillary statistics that go with it. When a team, I was, I was going to ask, when a team an- announces that they're doing closer by committee, how do you rank that committee? Do you rank it based on skill? Do you rank bank uh, based on whether they've had experience as a closer before? How do you work that? Uh, when I keep my charts going, there's different color codes and other things. And, and I've had to change the descriptor labels. Like it used to just say closer, stopper, stealth would be a guy like that could get the ancillary save when the regular closer needs a day off. Um, and things of that nature. Now it says highest leverage is in parentheses next to the stopper because uh, I did an article on The Athletic about this and, and we kind of named them. Brandon Funston came up with the HLR uh, acronym for it, but uh, highest leverage reliever, basically if you think of Paul Sewell right now on Seattle, if they need him in the biggest moment in the eighth inning, then he pitches in the eighth inning. But if they don't need him in the eighth, then he gets the ninth. Uh, and there's a lot of teams imitating that model this year. Uh, Detroit has done that. They will not name Gregory Soto the closer, even though he has the team lead in saves. Uh, there was an article on The Athletic that I think posted yesterday by uh, Cody Stavenhagen. It was a really good one about uh, Soto's tattoos, but I had a quote in there from Hinch saying, I won't call him the closer because I don't want him to be lazy and think he's only coming in the ninth inning. I want him to know that there might be a moment we need him in the game. And he comes in and takes that highest leverage moment and, and you know, gets the, gets, keeps the team ahead in that sort of a situation. So I, I really had to adjust. So in that instance, Ruben, I, I put the guy like on Baltimore, if you look at my chart, it has Tyler Wells at the top just because they used him in Toronto the other day to put out a fire in the seventh inning. Then he pitched the eighth and then Cole Solcer got to save. So even though Solcer might be perceived as the closer, I think Wells is the guy that they trust in the biggest leverage moment, if that makes sense. So do you know how many Tampa Bay Rays have recorded saves this year? Uh, it was 12. I don't know if there's a 13th yeah, yet, but 12. David Robertson might be number 13 soon, which will just send everybody else into another tither. But yeah, Crazy. and that matches the number from last year. They had 12 different pitchers record a save in the shortened sprint season, and they've matched that number this year. 12. 
And if you uh, don't count Diego Castillo, who led the team with 14, the highest save total is five. Kittredge and Fairbanks. I mean, can you imagine the Rays, one of the best teams in baseball, yet go go figure, you can't pick a closer on them to count on saves. I mean, it, it, it's crazy. Uh, Castillo was the guy, but, you know, the second half of the season after he was traded, that's it. I mean, you're taking guys for ratios only. You're certainly not taking anybody for saves. How, how does that factor in, in, into playing fantasy baseball where even the, the best team, there's no lockdown closer. There's no committee. It's, I mean, the, the ball boy was mm-hmm. asked to close out a game the other day. <laughs> uh, in those fluid situations, in a 12-team, like, mixed roto, you really can't roster one of those guys unless it's a daily moves thing or – uh, like in some Yahoo leagues, if you can use Kittredge as a starting pitcher slot on like a head-to-head matchup on a day you don't have a starter going, then that makes him valuable. Uh, otherwise, it's only 15-team leagues or league-only formats where, where those guys have more viability. Uh, and unfortunately, as they keep having success with this, you're seeing more and more teams imitate them. Uh, so that that's what keeps me busy, uh, and, and it's what makes uh, well, it keeps me employed here because people want to have all these questions about the closers and things of that nature and where the next save. The biggest thing is where is the next save coming from, and that's what people really want to know. If you can get somebody a week or two ahead before they get the job, uh, you save a lot of fab money, which we all know is a tantamount to success, especially at the end of the season here. Yeah, and how much uh, fab was blown on just Toronto Blue Jay closers this year? Crazy. Um, let's, the Den, uh, the Reds, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's uh, do the uh, trivia this week. It's time now for the Injury Gurus Trivia of the Week. Well, we're discussing closers this, this week. Um, in 2020, there were 131 different pitchers to record a save. In, in 2019, there were 199 different, clo- different pitchers to record a save. How many pitchers have recorded a save this year so far? Is it more than 2019 or not? I'm going to say yes. No, not yet. The answer is not yet. 178 pitchers have recorded a save so far this year. 43 different relievers have recorded at least seven saves. And you mentioned the Rays. They have the most uh, uh, pitchers with a save of 12. The teams with the least amount of pitchers with saves are the Braves, Marlins, and Rockies. They each only have three pitchers on their roster who actually got a save. So with all this knowledge, knowing that so many different people are getting saves, what is, Greg, what is the optimal closer strategy going into a draft? What I tried to do in in the preseason this year was get myself an anchor. And, and I know a lot of people say never pay for saves, but I did. Uh, and, and this is somebody, you know, I'm not going to toot my own owner, but, you know, I have pretty deep knowledge of the save pool and I was paying the retail to get Liam Hendricks or a Josh Hader, especially if I'm an NF- NFBC league. Uh, I tried to get one of those two guys. Uh, I was not able to get Iglesias because I had already gotten those other ones, uh, the way drafts went. So I didn't have to get them, but that would have been probably my third target along with Edwin Diaz. Uh, so I think you need to get an anchor. So that means you've got a guy that you know the team wants him there, the team needs him there, and um, he's going to have that job for the full season. Uh, after that, I kind of let it drift. So uh, on two different NFBCs, the second closer I took was Jake McGee. 
Um, and then I, I, I mixed guys in. I, I, on one team, I ended up with a, a spoiled riches. I ended, I took Ian Kennedy late and Emmanuel Clause late. And I, at one point, I had four closers on that team. I had to drop Kennedy just because uh, there was nothing I could do with him because that's a non-trade league. Uh, the only one that was different was the TGFBI. In that draft, uh, I was on the wrong side of both of the early closer runs. Uh, so my first closer in that one, at that time, I took Craig Kimbrell, and it was a nervous preseason when he was having his struggles. Uh, luckily, he was able to turn it around. I took Hicks and backed him up with Alex Reyes, and then I took Daniel Bardley. Uh, and it's funny now as we talk about this on that on that team, uh, I I don't have any of them active right now. So I, I actually picked up Adam Adovino to get a couple of saves, and uh, and just riding the wave through the end of the season. Uh, after Sunday's performance with Reyes, I, I gave up on him. Yeah, I mean, the question is, you know, is there a general strategy that works in general? You know, we can certainly talk about history. We can talk about what happened this year. It's about what happened in a couple of years. I mean, I found, and I wrote an article about this once, that um, the optimal strategy is to buy the second-tier closer and then a couple of shots at the bottom. And by second-tier closer, I mean not the elite one-two, but the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh. And it could be a little bit different every year. Maybe the second tier starts at number two some years. Sometimes it starts at number four. You know, but uh, that that story. Um, certainly this year, I mean, look at the guys at the top. Hayter, Liam Hendricks, certainly check. Diaz, check. Iglesias, check. Chapman, by and large, check. Pretty good. Kenley Jansen, pretty good. Ryan Presley, decent. Um, you know, the guys at the top, even though they were expensive, you got a good bang for your buck. You recovered most of your value. The guys who were 6 to $7 in the middle, uh, guys who were mid-rounds, a lot of them went to the wayside. So would you rather pay, you know, double that price from the middle or and recover, or would you rather pay that cheaper price but not? They weren't $1. They weren't in the 25th round, right? They were in the 15th round. So... Um, you know, that is the general the general tenet is to get that strategy um, to get that top tier closer. And again, um, buying one of them, um, if you're buying two of them, now you're spending a considerable number of resources. Um, that is probably too much to handle. But getting the one and then throwing your darts late, that seems to be the way to go. Um, and I would suspect that it's going to be the same type of thing next year, that there's going to be a couple of reliable closers at the top. You should grab that one and just throw a couple of darts at the bottom. The only thing I would add to that going forward is, especially because Tampa Bay does this, there are some good relievers with great ratios. I mean, Giovanni Gallegos has had lower than a .9 whip over the last each of the la- each of the last three years. Um, you know, whether he gets saves or not, that's very helpful to 15-team uh, leagues. Even 12-team leagues is helpful. Chad Green, you know, going to get you the strikeouts, the occasional save. There are good relievers, and there's going to be more and more middle relievers worth taking. But as far as saves go, I think that strategy of getting the elite one, even if you have to pay a drop more, and then choosing your shots in the towards the bottom, middle bottom, is the way to go. Ruvain, anything to add? Yeah, getting two top-tier closers doesn't make any sense because usually during the course of the season, most of them, a lot of people's fab is going toward prospective closers or possible closers because there's always injuries and stuff like that. So if you're going to spend for two top-tier closers and spend your fab on it, it's counterproductive to your budget. It doesn't make any sense. I'd rather put that money into the offense, build up your offense, make that a little bit better, and then you can speculate on these closers because, as I mentioned, so many different people are getting saves. 43 
pictures have seven or more saves, which is unfathomable. And like like Arrow, just like you said, the Rays, Diego Castillo had four had fourteen, I think you said. But nobody else has more than five right now, which is just mind-boggling, which means of those 43, none of them are Rays. But the Rays pitchers are so valuable. Their ERAs are are great. Their whips are great. They're all pitching different in, in high-leverage situations. When Peter, when Pete Fairbanks went down, Kittredge stepped up, and he became an all-star. Peter Fairbanks, he, he's back now. He's going to get some save opportunities now only because he, they've used him in high-leverage situations, and he's comfortable there. So getting two top-tier closers doesn't make any sense in a budget. One top-tier makes the most sense. Yeah, and you also don't need that many closers because there are going to be less saves to go around. Because of the fractionation of all the closers, you know, each fantasy team is not going to accumulate as many as they would have. So buying two is actually overkill. You're probably fine with just the one and, you know, some some uh, uh, saves here and there. Um, Greg, any, anything to disagree with? Anything to add to, to that, uh, the strategy part of drafting? The only time I could justify taking two upper level closers would be if you're in a draft and hold. Like if you're not doing anything during the season, that's the one time I think you can do it because uh, you can spackle offense and, and, and get people going through But in that 50 round draft. Uh, and, and the hardest thing about all of this is, is a lot of times when you look at the, I'm going to try and do. Uh, the first thing I'm going to do at the end of the season is really go through. Uh, Brian Slack did a great job of accumulating the bids in the main events. Uh, and I'm going to try and go through the uh, Rotowire online championships as well just to see um, the, the money spent on closers per team by, by people in all of these leagues. Half the time when you're spending money on closers, you're trying to buy saves that already happened. And, and that's the, the biggest margin of error in all this people are getting somebody who got a save last friday and they're bidding on them on sunday without really looking or paying attention to who might be getting that next save on tuesday and that that's the key to all this you want to make sure you're targeting a guy that's going to stay in that role not somebody that's on a team where a manager is just going to keep churning and burning them like tampa bay does uh, so so people really need to start paying attention to what team what manager likes to have like Aaron Boone prefers a linear path. He wants Chad Green in the seventh, Jonathan Loisica in the eighth, and Aroldis Chapman in the ninth in a perfect world. And we know that. So even when Chapman was struggling, Ariel and I were, you know, DMing each other about it and I was like, he'll eventually be back there and, and then he did. You know, even any any of these top closers can lose it at any moment of any moment's notice. Look at Matt Barnes right now. There's four closers on a break. Lou Trevino uh, and a couple more I, I, that was in my last article on the Athletics. So it's like you've got to be ready at any moment to be able to pounce. And a guy like Giovanni Gallegos, as Ariel alluded to, has been the best reliever for the Cardinals the last three years. It's just now that there's nobody blocking his path, he can finally get these saves. So in terms of fab. You know, I see all the time, and I mentioned, you know, the Blue Jays, you know, closer. You know, people throw $200, $300 at some closer, and by and large, it doesn't work. You know, either they, they end up getting hurt or they end up not being the right guy. Do you have any advice to how people should utilize their fab? I mean, in general, 
my uh, my direction and my research has shown that if you spend any more than ten to fifteen percent on any one player in fit in as a closer, you're gonna actually have a very negative return on investment, right? You you're best off throwing the darts a week early for one to two percent, um, throwing. 7 to 8% on the closer. If you have to in the right situation early on, 10, 12%, we understand that. But anything more, and you're really not doing a service for the rest of the year. Do you agree with that? And do you have anything to add to how FAB should be utilized for closers? I, I completely agree with that. And when I was seeing people bidding you know, $200 and $1,000 FAB on Julian Merriweather, you know, yes, he had an unbelievable little stretch there, but his injury history in the minor leagues was so checkered that that had to be a red flag. I mean, to think that he could go out there, and, and I really think part of the reason that Alex Reyes is struggling is he he's fatigued. I mean, look at his innings pitch per year through his career. He's getting into un, uncharted territory a little bit here. He, he, he just has not worked this much, and usually when he was doing this, it was as a starter. So I think over time, I think this is just a you know, an accumulation of things kind of all getting him at once and, and making him struggle. And that last blow up in Pittsburgh while they're fighting for a playoff spot was kind of the, the death nail to him in the ninth inning for a little while. Uh, and you saw him in lower leverage two nights later strike out the side, but they were losing by 10. Um, but as, as to your question, I really think people need to, A, do a better job in their draft so you're not forced to spend 20% of your FOB budget on a closer, and then B, to really temper that. There's going to be more people coming down the pike, uh, blowing 20% of your budget early in the season, trying to get a guy that's going to be there all year. Seems like a great idea, but in in the long run, it's probably, as you alluded to, it's not going to work out. And actually, speaking of Alex Reyes, He's actually hitting, you're saying he's hitting like a tired swell because he hasn't pitched as many innings as a reliever. Would he be considered a top closer pick or part of the top tier next year? No. No, the walk percentage for me would, would make me very scared of him. Uh, and, you know, and that's, that's the, you know, the poster boy for this is James Karinchak. I mean, we don't know about the sticky substance, and I will never throw a player under the bus because I don't know. However, he had a track record of, double-digit walk rates in the minor leagues. And then when he came up last year, suddenly he was throwing strikes all the time. And, and it seemed like it was great. And then all of a sudden the walk issues reaccumulated, uh, leading to his demotion to AAA. So we, we have to, you know, the old thing where you, you look on the back of the baseball card, you know, these guys a lot of times are going to regress back to, to former things. And, and Alex Reyes, for as great as his stuff is, he puts too many people on base with the walks. Now, again, on the three leagues I had him, I, I'll take those 29 saves to the bank, and, and, you know, I got them, and it was great. However, you know, when when the uh, when the bull kicks you off in the rodeo, you dust yourself off and you walk away, and that, that's how I treated Alex Reyes. Uh, after that, you know, three blown saves in that short span of time, to me it was I, I had to walk away. Um, so, you know, I, I do not foresee him. I mean, they still think he's going to be a starter next year. I don't see it with the walk rate, but we'll have to see how all that plays out. So looking into September, into the next uh, four or five weeks of the season that's remaining, which non-elite closers do you think might experience a save surge? Um, And are there any closer speculations that maybe people aren't looking at that might 
be someone that they could look at as a potential save source for those who need the saves uh, in your Roto Leagues. All right, well, we're going to take this in two parts. First and foremost, take a very, very close look at the standings and see if you can have an impact there. Um, so, like, for the TGFBI, sure, sure. there's there's the guy ahead of me in saves is ahead of me by five, and the guy behind me in saves is down by seven. So I'm just going to tread water. I, I'm not going to spend resources going to get saves there. Uh, there's another league where I can maybe gain a point, so I'll take a look at it. But I, people have to be smart about these things right now. I, I need to attack wherever I can in the sure, standings sure. to make an impact. But um, for September, we've already seen a little bit of a surge. I really like what I've seen lately from Gregory Soto. And, and you should notice that I picked him up in uh, Tout uh, when I was when he was starting to really turn the Did corner. I drop He's, him, by the way? Did I drop Soto? Did you drop Soto? I think Maybe. I did Early, I, earlier. Yes, I picked yes, you him. Did. Yeah. Yes, you did. I picked him up like three weeks ago, and he's been doing well. Now there was the one day he just completely imploded, but um, he he's really turned things around. With the he's improved his walk rate, and that's after the sticky substance thing. Uh, so that's something we're paying attention to. So I'm watching him. Um, Jordan Romano has really been coming on. He was frustrating. Think of all these people that were blowing. You alluded to all the people blowing the money on the Blue Jays. And if you had taken Jordan Romano early in the season when we're patient with him, now you're being rewarded. Uh, I think he's racked up five saves over the last two weeks. He's he's hitting near triple digits, and he's really settled in as the ninth inning guy in that team. Remember, they signed Kirby Yates because they didn't think Romano could handle it, and he he did get shut down once during the season. He got a little a little ten day break. Uh, but he's really responded well and, and really pitching well down the stretch here. So he's someone we're going to watch and see because maybe Toronto doesn't need to go out into the free agent market next year and spend money on a re reliever and allocate those resources towards a starter or, or somebody else uh, that'll help their their lineup a little more positively. Uh, and I want to see how Emmanuel Clase finishes. He's really turned the corner. He had some struggles Uh in about the middle of the season, that's when Karinchak got back into the, the primary to the primary saves role. Uh, since then, Klaze's totally turned things around. He's on about, I think, I, I wrote it last night down in my chart notes. I think he's on like a 19-game scoreless streak right now. Um, he's been pitching great. Uh, so th those are three guys that I, I'm kind of watching. Now in Colorado, Carlos Estevez has taken over the ninth inning for Daniel Bard. Now, when Colorado's at home, they're, uh, they win over 60% of their games, so he might be able to get you a few cheap saves. Now, he is a whip risk at times, but that's someone that we can kind of uh, maybe nab if he wasn't done over the weekend. I don't know if Arizona will bring back J.B. Bukowskis, but that's somebody next year that could be a sleeper for saves that we want to see if he comes up and how he responds after his time in the minors. Uh, and down uh, in San Diego, I don't know if you saw the, the inning that Denelson Lamette pitched as a reliever, but holy moly, was he just making people look silly. Uh, yeah. If you want strikeout upside and, and, you know, you know, Mark Melanson has been fantastic this year, but he, if he gets two in a row or whatever, he might need a day off. Uh, Lamette could get a save for them too. I, I really think if the Padres make the playoffs, Lamette could be a big difference maker in, in the eighth inning setting up for them. He, he would take over a role that no one on that team, Pagan, Daniel Hudson or others had been able to really lock down. And with Pomeranz out, uh, if Lamette can stay healthy, I, I think he could be an impact arm down the stretch. Yeah, Lamette should have probably started in the bullpen the whole year. Maybe he would be still here. You never know. 
Um, yeah, no, I agree. Uh, Soto, I did drop in Tatwars, but context dependent. I kept him in labor, still have him. Um, you know, it depends. <laughs> all depends on. Well, of course. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, it depends on what you need for your league. Um, the, the final question in the strategy section is, you know, what can we learn for the next year from what we see in September? So, for example, you know, what what are we looking for as fantasy owners and as analysts for what goes on in the final month to influence us on how the managers are going to decide on what's going to be in the next year? Are we looking for great performances? Are we looking for the leverage, the usage? Like, what what should we be focused on uh, looking toward 2022? You want a combination of those. You want to see on these bad teams who's being used in those leverage moments. All right, so we alluded to Tyler Wells, right? So he might only get a save or two if he gets the opportunity here towards the end of the season. But, you know, Baltimore will be a team on the rise, and I don't see them going out and really spending money. Uh, Brandon Hyde has bragged about he hasn't had a closer. Uh, But, you know, even if Wells feels like a... Paul Sewell uh, role on that team next year. I think that could be a, a nice sneaky late round target. Uh, and, and, you know, the Cubs, I don't know if anyone's paid attention to, but since the Cubs traded Kimbrell, they, they've morphed into uh, a raised light bullpen. I mean, it's the other day it was Wick finally got a save because I thought he might be the guy that would get first crack at it. Manuel Rodriguez has a save. Uh, Edbert Owsley had a four inning save the other day. Uh, I had a Cody save. Hewer, Cody Hewer has a save. Yeah, my, my puppy had one. No, but it's, you know, right, we, right. We, we have to figure out what these managers' preferences are. Is, is, is Ross running an audition to see who he wants in that role next year? Or is he comfortable just moving guys in and out? You know, that's what we need to see. Is Boston going to give Barnes another crack at it after the COVID thing? Or are they going to ride out the storm with Adovino? And Whitlock work in multiple innings, you know. So, so what these teams do uh, as the year finishes will hopefully give us a little bit of a blueprint as to what they do next year. Uh, the 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 two biggest names atop of the thing that are free agents are Kenley Jansen and Rizel Iglesias. So, you know, they could end up somewhere to be the closer. Iglesias prefers it. Um, Jansen, I don't know if he would close. It depends on where he would end up. I, you know, Los Angeles, is, I don't know that he would leave L.A., but I, I don't know what will happen there. You know, so all of a sudden, if Jansen leaves, then people are going to be all over Blake Trinan, and, and it just causes all those ripple effects. But um, in September, I want people really focusing on who's getting the highest leverage moment, and I want them focusing on who the manager really prefers in those roles as long as they're going to be back there next year. You know, it's funny with the Dodgers and Kenley Jansen, I feel like the Dodgers are an organization to have a complete committee, like to, to do the raise. Except I think that Kenley Jansen is the guy that they say, you know what, he's good enough. We're just going to throw him out there in the ninth. But I bet you dollars to donuts that in the playoffs, they scrap that. They use whoever they want in there. Kenley Jansen will be put in the seventh, the eighth, or whenever. I think they totally scrapped that model. I think just for the regular season, they say, listen, he's the closer. We're going to win. We're going to make the playoffs anyways. He's certainly not the cause of us missing the playoffs or winning or not winning the division. So you're going to keep the traditional role. And by the way, I think that, you know, for next year, you should probably, you and others who, who do the closer charts, should really consider having 
uh, not just a line for who's the closer, the setup man, but organizational philosophy, organizational and managerial philosophy. Is this a team that will do committee? Is this a team that will that will? Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna like you said with the uh, with the Yankees, it's a streamline. I, I want this guy in the seventh, this guy in the eighth. It's important to know what the team philosophy is. Even first, in today's day and age, I mean, you know the Rays, you're not getting anybody. So you can almost scrap who, who you're going to pick. I think that the team information is key. And I think you're right that we are going to get some good glimpses of what's going to go on in the coming month. Well, I will say, if you do look at my charts, it's it's not perfect yet. I'm still refining it. But I do have a rating next to each team, and I have like an indicator. So if a team has a three next to it, I have that mostly confident as that's how I see they're going to go. If it has a two, I rate that as fluid. And if it has one, I list that as a wonderful murky needs clarity. So I, I try and give people a little window to my thoughts on what that bullpen could look like as far as that rating system goes but i agree with you i need to come up with a better uh, labeling system so it's a number five rating would be a clear-cut closer and there's only a couple of teams that have that um so i mean i I do try to address that but definitely and i did do that in one of my intro articles to athletic it was almost like uh this team it could go this way and i listed who could be, and then what might happen, and things of that nature. But I'll keep trying to address all those things. But it's it's like being a fireman. Every time you think you got something figured out, another another little spark pops up, and you got to put on another fire. Yeah, September can be very very tricky because if you look at the strength of the schedule coming up for September, the Royals, the Pirates, and the Reds have pretty favorable schedules in September. So you may see. Um, pitchers like David Bednar pile up a lot of saves. You may see a pitcher, uh, I don't even know, maybe Michael Givens pile up a bunch of saves. Or or, or what's his name? in Barlow in, in Kansas City. He, they, these guys may be piling up a lot of saves, but that only may be because of their strength of schedule. So don't see these uh, inflated slate, uh, sna- uh, sorry, inflated save numbers. That's what I meant. Inflated save numbers and be it just a smokescreen for next year. So you have to be very careful with how you watch this because who you pick it depends on for, for next year is going to depend on how they're doing, meaning how they're where they're not walking the world and, and and just getting the occasional double plate to get out of it. You have to see whether they're striking out people, you have to see where the manager is winning them. But Ariel, what you mentioned, it's team philosophy, not necessarily manager philosophy. Because look at Joe Madden. When Joe Madden was in the, was with the Rays, they had a separate cl- they had a separate closer. That was it. They had um, Fernando Rodney, and that was it. When he left, the philosophy of the team changed. And if you notice, wherever Joe Madden went, he only had one main closer. He never went closer by committee. This is this is it's, it's not his philosophy. So you have to see beside you see what the the philosophy of the team is, and to see the manager just on the side, just have an idea what the manager likes as well. Agree. All right. Well, that wraps up our closer discussion. Really great stuff. And definitely check check out uh, Greg's uh, spreadsheet, his Google spreadsheet online. Uh, Really great stuff. But let's move on to our waiver wire for this week. Here's where we talk about a couple of potential waiver wire pickups that might help you. Uh, Let's start with you, Greg. Uh, Who are some people that you might want to pick up this week? in one league, um, I I can I can gain points in stolen bases. So I'm probably as much as it makes me uh, maybe even gag a little. I'm probably going to be kicking the tires on Leody Tavares. Um, he's I watched a couple of his I was watching his at bats the other day. I had the Texas game on because I wanted to see uh, the 
the high leverage moments and those things. And that's a nice thing about MLB TV. I can watch all these games and get them rocking and rolling. Um, I have the Pirates game right on right now, Ruven. So there you go. Um, but uh, here's the thing. Uh, his last eight games, he's been recalled. He's already got two home runs and five stolen bases. I know it's only a 167 bat bip. However, he has an 80.3 contact percentage since he's been recalled. And the key to me is 92.5 Z contact. Now, I don't think he's going to be a 300 hitter, but if he can hit anywhere, even in the low 240, if he can hit in like 240 the rest of the season and, and get me a saver to, or excuse me, get me a stolen base or two a week. Uh, that, that could really help me in a couple of spots in NFBC standings. Uh, and I'm also watching his teammate, Nick Solak, uh, the Rangers. have been doing some nice things ever since he's come back to the team. He's been hitting everything as well. His last 43 plate appearances, two home runs, eight RBIs with a stolen base and a 359 average. So, uh, and his OPS is almost at 1,000. So th those are two sneaky guys for me that, that I'm going to be trying to get shares of this weekend if it's possible. Uh, how about you guys? Ruve? Well, since we're talking about closers, I'm going to mention a couple of closers who are very much available in a lot of leagues. Adam Adovino, who's mentioned already, he's only owned in 32% of CBS leagues. He has 11 saves this year, and he will be the closer. He has a closer history. There's no reason why he's already, I guess, at 11 saves this year. He is already the closer. He, is a he has established himself, and I think he's just going to run with it because the Red Sox are in a chase i think he's going to be the guy there another guy i want to mention i mentioned him in the past and that's drew steckenrider of the mariners he has he's one of the guys with seven saves this year yes they're closer by committee um paul seawald he does come in occasionally he's a high leverage guy but drew steckenrider has had only only for the, for this year his era is 1.82 with a 1.01 whip 48 strikeouts and 54 innings and he's very, very, very available in a lot of leagues. He's only owned in 15% of CBS leagues. So that's the guy you, you can pick up. Now, Greg, you mentioned you're watching the Pirates game. I'm going to mention Colin Moran. He had a three-run homer tonight. For this, uh, for the, he's only played 72 games this year, but he's batting 284 now with eight homers and now with 37 RBIs, one stolen base. He's only owned in 21% of CBS leagues, and he's eligible in first at first and third. So if you need to fill in for a spot there, He's a guy to have. He, he's got a decent average, and he's playing basically every day. Yeah, I like that Moran pick. I have him in uh, two leagues of my own. Um, I'm going to mention uh, two closers. You know, Giov I mentioned before, Giovanni Gallegos. He's only 40% owned. He's got a couple saves in a row, 75 strikeouts and 66 innings. Again, it's the whip. In 2019, his whip was 0 .81. 2020, .87. This year, .85 with an under-3 ERA. I mean, if you think about what the best pitchers in baseball do to your ratios, you know, let's say you have a 1.1 whip. What do you think uh, a, a closer who has, you know, going to have almost 70 innings, so half the innings of a starter, they're going to have a tremendous impact on your whip throwing 0.85. Um, it's a ratios, it's a, it's a numbers game, right? All fantasy baseball is a numbers game. Those matter. And now the fact that he's getting saves, his road of value is through the roof, in my opinion. So if he's not on your roster, he should be right now. David Bednar, he mentioned him before, uh, and Ruve mentioned his schedule. He's playing next four teams, Detroit, Washington, Cincinnati, Miami. Um, I think Bednar's been great all year. Under one whip, 2-3-5 ERA, 65 strikeouts and 53 innings. He's the closer, in my opinion. He's going to get the ops. Uh, I think he's going to have a couple of saves in the next uh, couple of weeks. Um, 
two Cubs to talk about. Ian Happ, he's back, 40% owned. Since August 16th, batting 362 with five homers and 12 RBIs, 787 slugging, a 211 WRC+. Plus. So he's uh, quite a bit higher than the average player right now. Um, I mean, five homers in, in two weeks, uh, that's not somebody to uh, to neglect. He's batting third. You're going to get RBIs and runs if you're batting there. And how about the guy who's batting fourth every day, Frank Homer Schwindel. He, he, he seems to be hitting a homer every single day. In the month of August, seven homers, batting 340 with 21 RBIs. And he's only 32% owned. Uh, he's going to be at home against Cincinnati and San Francisco. And then next week at Philly, at Milwaukee, those are good ballparks. Um, I picked him up in labor, and I'm so glad I did. Uh, I don't think that a 12-team league is too shallow for this guy. I think that uh, he's worth uh, it's worth it. And, you know, looking forward to next year, uh, the Cubs are testing out exactly what they have with this guy. Uh, so there you go. Uh, pitcher preview, that's where we highlight either a good two-star pitcher or a starter with a good one matchup next week. Um, who was the pitcher that you'd like to pick up? Let's start with you, Greg. Uh, well, it was funny. I picked up Reynaldo Lopez in tout because I thought he was just going to be in the bullpen, but I can maybe get a a sneaky win or or manage ratios with him with some strikeout upside and now with the injuries affecting the White Sox uh, he's going to be moving into the rotation so I believe he's starting this weekend against Kansas City uh, and he will get a spot start next week as well um, I, here's the thing the last 30 days he's two and one uh, three of those were starts 21 innings pitched 22 to 5k to bb 1.71 era 0.76 whip now again being a reliever does help that a little bit but with a 3.34 sierra so only a little bit of regression uh, it backs up that the skills have been flashing out with him he's increased his strike percentage he's almost following the the Gosman and others passed that went worked a little bit in the bullpen and then came back and refined their arsenal uh, he, he's picked up the swing and strike percentage with his slider things of that nature also Bailey Ober I think might get a two start next week he was supposed to have one this week uh, but they're bringing Randy Dobnak back so they're going to be pushing Ober into Monday uh, he gets Cleveland and he could get Kansas City over the weekend next week I think that would be a nice sneaky uh, two start if he does get them he has a 2.45 ERA his last seven starts with a 1.06 whip 36 strikeouts in those and he's also increased the velocity on his slider as he's gotten comfortable in the majors uh, so, so those are two under the radar arms that I think people should be checking out next week I think it's ridiculous Ober's owned in like 21% Yahoo leagues yeah, Ober a good pick uh, he has not given up more than three earned runs in any of his last eight starts so that's uh that's pretty good on on his spot um you mentioned randy dobnik friend of the podcast he was on uh earlier this year he was on our show so we we wish him well uh, ruvain how about you well i'm gonna mention a guy i mentioned a couple weeks ago because he's only 46 percent old and he should be higher than that and that's eliezer hernandez that's 46 percent on, on cbs he's got possible two starts of against the mets and at atlanta he's got 14 strikeouts in his last 15 innings um, he is a good guy to get strikeouts from. If you need strikeouts down the stretch and you can not worry too much about your area and whip, then he's a guy to get. Now, if you want to try to get wins, this is my risky pick for the week. Usually I get a guy who's usually 5 or less percent owned in CBS. And this week I have Paolo Espino 
of the Washington Nationals. He is at Atlanta and at Pittsburgh, who fired their hitting coach, so that must be good for the pitchers there. He's got 16 strikeouts in his last 13 innings, and ignore his ERA of 6 over the last 3 starts. His ERA for the season is still at 4.10, and he started a ton of games. He's only 5% owned in CBS, so if you need to try to get wins, yes, the Nationals aren't that great, but when you have a pitcher who's going against the Pirates, you got to take that. Yeah, firing their hitting coach right at the—not even the season's over, just, you know, five-sixths of the way on a losing ball club. Not a good sign, I'll tell you that. Um, you know, the Padres fired their pitching coach just now. That was also a surprise. One of my picks is uh, someone who pitched very well against them the other day, Luke Weaver, 10% owned. He's back from injury. He's going to be versus Texas next week. Last night against the Padres, six innings pitched, four hits, one earned run against a pretty good lineup in the Padres. So uh, I, I like that pick, Luke Weaver, for next week. How about Carlos Fernandez? He's a little bit more owned, 50% owned. I love this guy for, for next year even. 25% strike rate, 40% ground ball rate, 97-mile-an-hour fastball, 12% swinging strike rate. Carlos Fernandez, he tackles Minnesota next week. I like that start. How about Antonio Senzatella? He's a future two-star pitcher. He's only 15% owned. He's at home against San Francisco and then at Atlanta at Washington. But here's why you should pick him up. Here's his innings pitch for the last couple starts. 7-6-7-6, seven, six, seven, six, four and two-thirds, six, seven, five, six, six, seven. This guy pitches six or seven innings pretty much, uh, and he only gives up about two or three earned runs a game the last couple, gets five strikeouts. Um, I mean, this guy is a no-brainer to me in a 15-team league or deeper, and even in 10-team this week, because if you get him now, he's free, and he's on your roster for the future to start. So consider Antonio Senzatella. Anybody else? To, anybody want to talk about anybody else? Add in a, a hitter, a pitcher, a ball boy, anybody? Anyone who's pitching against the Pirates, if you want to get a, a, cl- a prospective closer, look who's closing, who, who's playing the Pirates. You want to get a starting pitcher, even if it's one start, look for the Pirates. They're one of the worst offenses in baseball. Take advantage of it. Yep, there you go. Good advice. All right, Ruben, injury report time. Go for it. All right, we got a couple of injuries here. Uh, we'll start with Tim Anderson, who was placed on the I.O. with a left hamstring strain, which was retroactive to August 29th. He had missed the two prior games. White Sox manager Tony La Russa actually downplayed the severity of it, so we ex- so he said he should be back sooner than expected. Wilson Ramos, not that many op- owned him in many leagues. He was a catcher in, in Cleveland. He's tore his ACL and, is, and sprained his MCL. He's having surgery. He's done for the year. Brett Phillips, a guy people picked up for stolen bases is on the I.O. with a sprained right ankle. So even if he does come back, it could affect his stolen bases down the stretch. So that's something to think about. Lance Lynn was placed on the I.L. this week with right knee inflammation. He's only expected to miss one start. Let's hope it's only one start. Johnny Cueto was placed on the I.O. with a strained right elbow. Gabe Kapler said that he's been battling this, that Cueto's been battling this issue for a couple for issues throughout the entire week, but he's optimistic that he shouldn't be on the aisle for too long. Another giant, Wilmer Flores, was placed on the aisle with a strained left hamstring. Originally, it was called just tightness, but it's he's now expected to miss a couple of weeks, so if you have him on your roster, you may not want to keep him rostered the rest of the season. John Gray was placed on the IL with right forearm tightness. We don't know how bad it is, but they're expected that he'll only miss one turn through the rotation. When you hear right forearm tightness, you don't think it's just one miss through the rotation, so be aware of that. Some updates on some injured players. Glaber Torres, um, Aaron Boone actually said on the radio the other day that, and that Glaber Torres should be back for this weekend. So if you have him and you have lineups that, that reopen and you can lock them up on Friday, they're, in, they're playing Baltimore, 
please start him. That's a smart start there. Another Yankee, Miguel Andujar. He's got a left wrist sprain. Manager Aaron Boone said this past Sunday that he's not sure whether he will return back this season. So that's something to watch for. And another guy who may not return back this season is Mike Trout. He's still dealing with the calf injury. This is one of the um one of the worst, longest stays on an IL for a calf injury, injury for as long as I can remember. So this is something that's obviously not that good. The Angels are not really in it right now, so Mike Trout may be shut down. I wouldn't say drop him because if he does come back, you don't want to not have Mike Trout. Yeah, I mean, uh, Ota- they had Otani and Trout on the same team. Can't make the playoffs. The drought continues for Trout here, and uh, hope he does recover soon. You know, one thing to note about injuries in September, um, this year you don't have the expanded rosters all the way to 40. So what would happen before is somebody would get hurt, they would not go on the IL. Why put them on the IL, right? Because if they can come back in seven days from now, you know, they have plenty of roster spots. Right? 40, you're not using 40 in a game. But now with a more limited roster, it, they do put players on the IL. So the fantasy tactic is slightly different. I think it's better in the sense of you have less questions in your lineup, right? Oh, is this guy going to be back? He's healthy. You know, you won't have day-to-day guys. You'll actually guys, guys will actually be put on the IL. So I think it makes it a little bit easier, right? No? It does. However, if you had John Gray this week, they didn't put him on the IL until late Tuesday. They thought he was going to start, but his, his bullpen be- between games wasn't that great. So if you had John Gray, you may still have him in your lineup and you may, be, you may have been stuck. So the, yes, they will start putting people on the IL more just so they can open up more roster spots just because they need them. But they're also calling up p- pitchers who may not be 100% ready yet just to be there. Like the, the Marlins called up Trevor Rogers. So uh, they activated Trevor Rogers which means that he could pitch. When is he going to start? We don't know yet, but he is on their active roster right now. Right. All right. Well, that's the end of this show here. I want to thank Greg Jewett for coming on the show and talking closers and strategy and all that. Greg, thank you again. And why don't you, before you go, why don't you tell everybody where we can see your stuff, where we can read you, reach you, all things Greg Jewett. (laughs) Well, first, thank you guys for having me on. It's, you know, obviously an honor and I love all the work that you guys do. And, uh, Ariel, if if things go the way they're leaning towards in tout, I wish you the best of luck the rest of the way. If uh, if if I'm not going to be matching up, but it is what it is. It's been a it's been a great season. And I really enjoyed um, you know getting to know you a little bit through uh, messaging and things of that nature. And uh, I respect what you did in the in the uh, early draft and everything else. And uh, again, you had a strong regular season team. Hopefully, uh, they can they can do the work in the playoffs if. Uh, if Clay Link takes me out uh, this weekend, but we'll see how it goes. Uh, as far as everything for myself, uh, it's at G, J-E-W-E-T-T-9, as you said in the intro. Uh, my, I post my closer charts daily, and I also pin them. So if you, you want to see them, and once you find me on Twitter, you can go right to there. It's the pin tweet, and you pop it right open, and it brings you to the page. Uh, you can bookmark it. I also run, um, I do SGP ranks on there. I do for the whole season. I do uh, the last two weeks, and I also am keeping track of the second half, and I, I, I have a saves tab, and I also do a souls for those that do save plus hold formats. Um, my articles for The Athletic on Closers post on Tuesdays. I think I have three, three more left here, um, or actually maybe four, since we just started September. So uh, my last one, I will do a much too early uh, rankings for 2022. Uh, just as like an early draft prep fun thing, just to kind of see where people are at the end of the month. 
uh, and how I foresee them going in drafts because we all know some people start drafting in November. Um, I also do work at Fantasy Alarm. Uh, DFS articles, uh, and I do two weekly columns behind the breakout and, and the uh, hitter streaks and trends. And I also run my own coffee and closer Substack, which I do about two, three times a week. I'll have one coming out tomorrow. So again, you can find that right in my bio on Twitter as well. So again, thank you, uh, Ariel and Ruben, for having me on. It was an honor and uh, hope, hope the information gives uh, people things to think about as they prepare for next year. Yeah, our pleasure, and uh, you know, great stuff, Greg. Uh, obviously, uh, your first year in Tat Wars. You were talking about the Tat Wars league we're in, and just to to update people um, for the regular season, Greg was maybe within a batter or so of of, of five points. Yeah, five points. Can you imagine? Like you know, <laughs> out of a four hundred and something total for the week, if he would have had five more points, he would have secured a first round buy uh, to finish in the number two seed. Uh, but he didn't, uh, so he has to face Clay Link. You're not out of it. You're within, I think, 40 points or so for the week. We've still got half a week left. Um, should you win, you will be facing um, Prospect Jesus, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Ralph. I, I, right, uh, right. That's right, Ralph Lifshitz. Um, I, I won't be facing you. I, I got the number one seed, so if Clay, Clay wins, I have to face Clay. If uh, you win, then I get the other side of the bracket, Nick Pollock or Frank Stamfel. So either way, I won't face you to the finals. I, I hope you're there. I, I, I wish you luck in the next couple of rounds. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll do the best we can here on our end as well. That sounds great, Arrow. Thank you. All right, Ruvain, how about you? Uh, tell us uh, all about your stuff. You can follow me on Twitter at MLB Injury Guru, where I tweet out injury updates, how long they're going to be out, next guy up. And I also have a weekly article for Rotoboiler discussing all this, preparing you for the fab for that week. And my name is Ariel Cohen. You can read my stuff over at Fangraphs, Rotographs, uh, at Rotoboiler and Sportsline. You can follow me at ATCNY. And, of course, you can listen to um, me every single week here on the Beat the Shift podcast. Uh, I did an earlier uh, podcast uh, today with uh, Rotowire with uh, uh, Jeff Erickson and Justin Mason and company uh, talking about our specific TGFBI division. So give that a listen. Rotowire does some great stuff as well. I talk about why I think Adalberto Mondesi should be very negatively looked at going into 2022. So check that one out for that explanation. Um, And uh, that's it. Uh, So once again, thanks so much uh, to Greg Jewett for coming on the show. From all of us here at Beat the Shift, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangress. Follow us on Twitter at beat underscore shift underscore pod.